processes of these things in the kingdom are somewhat different, and they're a little bit more, they're a little harder to kind of nail down for process when you're following the Lord, and you know, there is, there is the process. These things are, cert- you know, there's certain laws and logic and computer programs and notes and harmonies and things that go with things and things that don't go with things, and so there's, it's important to kind of know that, uh, much like life itself. But it's also very important to know how to flow in the midst of all of that, to know that the Holy Spirit is still guiding and moving us through it. It's not one or the other. We relate to this natural world in a very particular way. So anyways, these are great metaphors for us to understand a little bit about where God is taking not only us, but taking the kingdom as we go forward into, as we said on Sunday, we go into this new zone, uh, of, which is the kingdom of God. That when Jesus was here, Uh, We have to zero in. Uh, Let me just talk to you about this a little bit, maybe. Uh, One of the things that we struggle with, as I'm going to prep up to what I'm going to talk about today, one of the things we struggle with is like when you pick up a book that was written by somebody, that book could have taken them 50 years to develop and write and prepare for and get the wisdom for. But when you read it, you don't necessarily get that, that the blood, sweat, and tears as you're reading the book. You don't realize the experiences that led to the information that that led to the book. Oftentimes, the New Testament is like that, and we can lose perspective of what happened when, when we are simply reading Matthew all the way through (coughs) to maps. And we don't realize that that when when the book of Acts, remember there's two sections of your New Testament. There's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John section, which we refer to as the Gospels. And then there is the Acts to Revelation, which is the writings that took place by the the apostles and the writers of the New Testament. And so when, uh, if you want to look at a timeline, we have, let's say, zero here, which would be, this is BC, even though they want to change that, and this is AD. Uh, And so that's the zero line. Way back here is Adam and Eve, and way up here is, is the book of Revelations. And so if you take a look at zero, this is the year that Jesus was born. That's how we get that BC before Christ, AD, after, after the king, basically uh, Anno Domina, after the king. And then from here, we go out this way towards us. And so we have this point here, which is year 30 or so, is when Jesus was baptized by John in the, in the Jordan and his ministry starts, and then we have here, this is year 33, and that was the year that Jesus went on the cross. And then there is a season that goes from the cross through the ascension, through Pentecost, through the book of Acts, and on and on and on into the different writings. One of the things we have to realize is the writings that we have, even the book of Acts itself, was not written until Luke penned it in year 58. And then Paul's writings of Romans and uh, I can't remember the the order. Romans wasn't even first. It goes first. I think Thessalonians was the first book that Paul wrote. And that was in in, uh, 54. So that would have gone on here, 54. And then other writings, 58, 59, up to 68. And then in 96 AD was when the book of Revelations was written by the apostle John. And so we have this gap right here between 30, approximately 33 rather, when Jesus left and the book of Acts started in, the, in real life. Until we get to about 30 years later, an entire generation later, uh, 
is when this information started to get written down in, in written form. What that means is, is that the, the stories and the information of these three years here, so from 30 until 33, that information, which is the Gospels, empowered all of this stuff to happen. It wasn't like when we are getting to the end now, Jesus has got the ascension, so you know, Paul goes up to the, to the Mount Sinai and God writes him all the rules of the New Testament, and then we go, Shazam, let's live the New Testament. That's not how this worked. Sometimes that's how we think it's worked. And so then we look for the information about how it worked from afterwards. So they didn't have the book of Romans to live the, the, the book of Acts. They didn't have information from Corinthians in order to get this to go. It was stuff that they figured out in this journey of this great revival that happened after the day of Pentecost. Do you understand? What that means is the information that we need to live the New Testament is actually contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we have to zero in on that so that we clearly understand that when we are reading the Gospels, what we're reading is the information that the people who were there on the day of ascension, it was this information that they had that empowered them to do this phenomenal thing that we then write about after the fact. And the writers of the New Testament are trying to, with Paul and with, with uh, Luke and with Peter and with the writer of Hebrews and John and the different ones that were writing, they lived it and then tried to get some kind of an orderly account, as Luke says in the beginning of the book of Acts. I just wanna, I wanna write you down a bit of a, an organized account of all this craziness that has happened around us. We wanna put it down on a piece of paper for you, which means, it's, we, which means you don't need the piece of paper to understand what happened. Do you understand? Like today we have a newspaper that said Trump won the election. That, piece of, that newspaper wasn't part of the election. It didn't create the election. It's just news about the election. If you want to know how he won the election, you have to go back to information that was going on. Do you see that? That's the key now why when I'm zeroing in to the, the rationale of looking in the book of Corinthians or looking in the book of Galatians or looking in the book of Romans or the book of Hebrews in order to get the information because a lot of times this is now the university version of the New Testament. So if you're gonna run a church, which is gonna be the result after you've got you know, a bunch of things happening of kingdom hitting the people and you wanna keep the roof off your head, now you have to start a church while well, there's gonna be a whole bunch of problems and you're gonna need some help on how to figure out all this human to human crap stuff. Isn't that true? You didn't need that at first, there's only two people. Well, you probably need it with two people. There's only one person, you don't need it with one person. And so it's kind of like you're learning all the mature stuff and we make all the kingdom about all of that stuff instead of realizing that the real kingdom is about the stuff in the beginning, especially when it comes to what Jesus was talking. Remember, Jesus wasn't starting a church. He said, you know, you eventually are gonna get to the place where you'll figure out you wanna keep the rain off your head, start a church. But the key to it isn't going to be start a church. That's just part of the logic of making it work. Does that make some sense? And so Jesus isn't into church, although he's happy that we don't have the rain on our head. We're happy that the lights are on at eight o'clock at night. But that's not the necessary portions of it. 
And so let's take a look then at uh, understanding, uh, okay, let's go here. The path, uh, kind of like where, where I want to zero in is I want to continue to get into your minds a very particular concept about the New Testament that really isn't in the New Testament. It's not really in the lives of most Christians in this day, even though I'll make the case to you that it's one of the most important things the Bible has to say, and yet it's almost invisible. And let's take a look at that. If you were to take a look at the bare essentials of, of Christianity, essentials. And so let's think about it in your mind. Like if you had to do a five-point sermon about what Christianity is about, what would those five points be that you would put in your teaching? Just the basics. And so you'd probably start, if we can kind of use Romans as a little bit of a map for us about what, is the, what are the key components, you'd probably say, one, that God is real and that he is love, but that he also is, he, he's a, he's a, he requires a certain lifestyle out of us. Like there is a, a very fatherly role that God has in the sense that, you know, it's not just love. Come on, let's sit down, lay on the carpet and do whatever we want. There's the, it's the love, but it's got a lot of righteousness and it's got a lot of right ways of doing things in the love that he has for us. So there's, it's kind of like, do you have that revelation that God is real, that he is love and that he is right kind of a thing. And then once we get that done, then we're gonna take a look at, well, the Bible is true, and that its words are life. It's not just true like a holy book, you know, carried around and everything. It's going to be that there's very, something very specific about the fact that it's the truth. It's kind of like God's instructions for our lives, that kind of a reality, that we're going to say, yeah, that's pretty foundational to my Christianity. And then number three, I would say that Jesus is the next piece to say that he was the lamb slain. The spotless lamb, lamb slain for the sins of the world. This is a pretty key component to the, the journey of Christianity that we would find ourselves there. And then I would say perhaps finally, let's go to the place where it's the Holy Spirit. That, that you know, God within of the New Testament... I would say that if you covered that in your teaching, that you would probably have hit like the, the, the four pillars of what Christianity is all about. The reality of it is, is that there is yet, oh no, let me put number five would be that heaven is real. And that it is the uh, eternal destination of those who believe. Would you agree with that? That it's a pretty important part about Christianity that, you know, this is not our life. That we have, there's another life. There's, this is just a seed that we're gonna lay in order to go to the next life that we have. And I'd say those are the, those are the basics. Now, when Jesus was here, he began to talk to us about a reality that is very different than this list. When Jesus came and he said, I got a teaching that I got to teach you. I got to explain something to you. And he said, that, it says that Jesus went about preaching and teaching. What? 
Which one of those? He started teaching about the kingdom of God. And we would say, you know what? The kingdom of God, wow, that's a, that's a real, what would I, let's say you were asked, I asked you to say, okay, on Sunday, I want you to come up and teach on the kingdom of God. I'm saying, you think to yourself, hmm, I wonder what I would teach. Maybe break down the word kingdom, maybe break down the word God, maybe break down the word of, and see how that kind of goes. But I don't know if we really know anything about the kingdom of God. We kind of think, yeah, it's the, I don't know, is it uh, sort of the, maybe it's a, uh, I don't know. What is the kingdom of God? I've heard all kinds of things. People use that term all the time. But you wonder to yourself, what is that? And yet when Jesus was here, he would have said, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you this later on, just make it in your notes. He would have said, here's the first thing that I need you to understand. I need you to understand the kingdom of God. First, Jesus went about preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so when we take a look at it now, and then what happens is, is that all of these other things, as we begin to understand, did he talk about God is real? Yes, he did. Did he talk about the Bible's true? Yes, he did. Did he talk about this? Yes, he did. But when he first got out on his ministry, he wanted to talk about the kingdom of God. It was the revelation that Jesus, the captain, the initiator, the, 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 the entrepreneur of the, of the New Testament, he said, the thing you need to learn the most is the kingdom of God. And yet we would probably say in our world today, not really sure what that is. And so if you turn with your, in your Bibles, just drop them on the floor, they'll open to the right page, go to Mark chapter four, <clears throat> and we're gonna spend some time then let me, let, me, let me just do this. You turn there. And I, even I was quite surprised as I was putting this teaching together that went, now, let me explain this to you. Don't go to your Bibles yet. <clears throat> there's going to be three, there's, there's, there's two terms that we use interchangeably, and I need to separate those two terms at least for now. There's two terms, mostly in the book of Matthew. Jesus uses the, the term, the kingdom of heaven. And the, the, the New Testament in other places, also in Matthew, but in other places, it refers to the kingdom of God. And we would say, well, those are probably pretty synonymous. Right. But not by the nature of the terminology. Because the kingdom of heaven references a place. And the kingdom of God also references a place. It does not necessarily say that God lives in heaven. Matter of fact, I don't think he does. And so... When we are referring to those two different things, it's going to be important for us to separate the two pieces. And the best way that I've got to, to understand them, is like this. Actually, I should, uh, no, let me, draw, let me draw a box, but please understand, on this level, there is no box. This is the kingdom of God. That's where God lives. His dimension is, is, is endless. There is no boundaries to his, his dimension. There is no end, there is no top, there is no bottom. Literally, it's almost like we don't even understand how you can be endless. It's like when we think about the universe. How far does the universe go? It doesn't ever stop. 
maybe the planets and the stars stop, but the, the dimension is endless. It goes into no space, nothingness forever, as far as we know. And so that's kind of like what God's like. He's just completely vast, with like as if there are no boundaries to him. And that's when he's describing the kingdom of God, he's describing that endless dimension that contains everything that is. In every dimension, not just the world that we live in, but heaven is in there. And so when you take a look at it, there is a smaller portion of the kingdom of God, and I'm gonna draw it like this. I know that if Tim and Mike are watching, they'll really appreciate what this means. I get in trouble all the time for putting shadows on my artwork. In this situation, <laughs> it's very important because the dimension is not the same. It's not in, they're not connected. The kingdom of heaven, so the kingdom of heaven, is a smaller portion of the kingdom of God. It is also a created realm. Remember the, in, the, in the book of Genesis that God created what? the heavens and the earth. So the heavens, which is also the heavens that we see, remember Paul says there's three heavens. So there's atmospheric heaven and earth, there's the heavens, which is our universe, and then there is the third heaven, which is, we're not sure exactly where that is, but it's there, it's kind of wherever it is. It's right there. And so <clears throat> then, there's also this place that references the kingdom of man. Now, you're going to notice that there's also a shadow, Tim, Mike, on that zone. This is the kingdom of man, a very small portion. So if you imagine them, just as a way, this, I don't know if this is how it goes. I'm just trying to give you a, an illustration. So if this table is the kingdom of God, then this book would be the kingdom of heaven, and these glasses would be the kingdom of man. And so when God's praying, asking us to pray, he's saying, thy kingdom come, so that the ki which I, and he doesn't say which one he's talking about. So I'm going to reference the whole thing. So it could be the kingdom of heaven, it could be the kingdom of God, but it's thy kingdom, speaking to God, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So th what he's trying to do is he's trying to dimensionally get the kingdom of God, whatever that is, the kingdom of heaven, whatever that is, into this thing. So that he's trying to create like a connection between those dimensions like that without the falling down part. Why is, why is this important? Because when, 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 when Jesus is revealing the kingdom of God, most of the time when he's revealing the kingdom of God, he says things like the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has got a whole bunch of children in it. When you see demonic things that are going on and you go over to them and you lay, no offense, if you lay hands on that person and the devil leaves them, you said the kingdom of God has come near you. Maybe another person has a sickness in their body and you lay hands on that person and they get their healing. Then it says the kingdom of God has come near you. Hmm. Okay, so exactly what is the kingdom? We still don't really know. It just We know it's near. We know it's full of children. We know that it's hard for a rich man to enter that place. Okay, so what is it? We still don't really have any idea. There's only one place, actually, in your Bible, where it says the words, the kingdom of God is, and actually tells you something about it. 
you'd find that in Mark chapter 4. And so if you go to Mark chapter 4, verse 26, let's take a look at the information that is getting to us so that we understand the kingdom of God. When Jesus laid this foundation, this first piece that sits like this, underneath everything is the kingdom of God. It supports everything is what you're, going to, you're about to find out. The world where God lives supports the, wor- the, hev- the world of heaven. And then the world of heaven supports this natural world. Because the godness comes through, as, you'll, as we'll talk about, we're not gonna talk about today, when it, it, you lose a dimension every time you come up. So these things are separated. How did I do it again? This and this and this are separated by dimensions of time. And this is, you know, I've talked to you sometimes a little bit about this before. It kind of twists your brain, is, but it's not, and it's not important that I'm trying to twist your brain. What I'm trying to show you is, is that the difference between these dimensions, I think, is created by, an un, by a, a, a slight tuning of this thing called time. At least the best I can figure out. The kingdom of God has no beginning and no end. How many of you have seen the, 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 the what's that movie you like? Spinning Top is called Inception. How many of you, you, I know, I, I know even, even me, I've watched it like 60 times, still not sure I get it. But <clears throat> did you, how many of you remember that when they go down a dimension in their dream life, time becomes different? I think that's what happens when the nature of time becomes stretched. I can't really say it another. Uh, different. Do you understand that if there's, when there's something has no beginning and no end, it can stretch as much as it wants? You, let me, you know, how many of you have the new iPhone? It's got slow-mo on it, the slow-mo feature. How many of you have ever used it? Do you, do you know what slow motion is? Slow motion photography is just that we create a bigger gap between the the seconds. And so when you're watching somebody go in slow motion, all you're really doing is, is taking pictures of them faster and then running those pictures at normal speed. That's all, that's all slow-mo does. So all you're doing is you're taking a certain amount of time and you're compressing it and then opening it up further. And you say, we're going in slow motion. Where all you've done is you've taken, instead of taking 25 frames per second, you took 50 frames per second and ran it at 25 frames per second. That's how you did it. So you changed the nature of time in that photography set and you made it look like it lasted a whole bunch longer. That's what happens, I think. I don't know why I'm going this way. That's what happens when we move a dimension by removing one of the boundaries of time. The same thing is what we are going to experience when we move into heaven from here. Heaven is a zone that has you look at this place here, it has a beginning. Remember in Genesis chapter one, God created it. It started sometime, but it has no end. 
When we get to heaven, the, re, the time will not be the same to us because there, there, won't be an, there won't be an end. It won't be like the day will end. There's no night in heaven. And so the day won't ever end. And so it'll seem like eternal day. And we'll lose perspective. How many of you know you get perspective by the sun going down at six o'clock and coming up at seven o'clock and you got the sun in the sky and you got all these things that are giving us references to time. When you get to heaven, there won't be a reference like that. You're just gonna be like a million years and it won't be lunchtime yet. So you'll lose your perspective. Does that help you a little bit? And then on this little zone here, the kingdom of man, we have a beginning and we have an end. And so time gives us that reference to how we experience the zone that we are in. Now, that's, <clears throat> that's just like the way our soul works. Like, I'm trying to imagine what it's like when I, you know, I, I put my dad on the airplane yesterday. I didn't, my brother did. And he flew out to BC. As he's flying out to BC, he's catching up to the sun, so we put him on the, air, the plane at 6.30 here, and he lands at 7.30 in Victoria. So it took him an hour to get there. No, he flew with the sun, and so he had this, how does that, see how he almost manipulated time, made it slow down by going with the sun. Do you see that? It, it's kind of like that when we get into this next dimension. So when we are dealing with dimensions, all we are dealing with, and this is important, I'm sorry for all the physics, <clears throat> when we're trying to understand what Jesus is about to tell us about the kingdom of heaven, and the, well, the kingdom of God in this reference, but as he's about to give us the reference and the understanding of how this thing works, the issue of time is a huge component, particularly for us onesies who are stuck in uh, this dimension, where time seems to be our biggest challenge. Walking by faith, I can already tell you, the biggest problem you have in walking by faith is the clock, the ticking clock. That's where all the trouble comes from. If there was no ticking clock, this would be a piece of cake. That's how it's gonna be when you get to heaven. Faith will not be a problem when you get to heaven. What are you believing for, a motorcycle? When's it coming? Soon. What day is it going to be here? Um, soon. It won't be an issue because time won't be, a, won't be a factor. Turn back to Mark chapter 4. So here now, Jesus is about to say the only time he has, in the, all of Scripture, this is all of the red letters, the only time Jesus gives us any understanding of what the kingdom of God looks like is here. That's important, isn't it? Because we would say, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of information on this. It's all right here. Listen to what he says. He says, and the kingdom of God is, so he's now describing what it is. He says it's near, but that doesn't really describe it. I guess it's near. He says it's got children in it. You know, little children are, you come as a child. If you're going to enter the kingdom. And it says it's hard for a rich man to get there. It says, you know, other little things, but it doesn't tell you what it is. Here, he says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed in the ground and should sleep night and day, sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not understand how. For the earth yields crops of itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. 
And when the grape ripens, immediately he, the man, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. (laughs) How many of you, like me, are shocked that that and the parable that quite follows it about the mustard seed and it grows up and it becomes a tree and the birds sit in the tree? That's it. That is the New Testament revelation, the information in some total that Jesus gave us about the kingdom of God. That's it. How many of you are shocked by that? Okay, you look shocked, like the the newscasters last night looked shocked. So why is this important? The kingdom of God, the rules, and let's talk about it like this. The universal principle is what I'm gonna refer to this as. The universal principle. That right there is how this whole box works. It's like when Einstein was trying to figure out the theory of relativity. He wanted to understand the theory, what we would call the theory of everything. How does everything work? And when he did that, he, as well as all of his compatriots, were very quite shocked to find out that the equation of everything wasn't 40 miles long, which is what they all thought it was going to be. Do you know what the equation of relativity is? It's E equals MC squared. That's it. That equation, although there's a little bit, couple problems with it as we found out modern day, but it pretty much explains everything. And we build everything that we build based on those things. That small, 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 tiny formula. That formula runs this square here, physically. The formula that runs this square is seed time and harvest. That concept, sowing a seed, the seed goes in the ground, it, this, the farmer, the person who sows the seed, doesn't know how that seed is going to go from a word into a form. But nevertheless, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the earth, the place into which He sowed that seed, is making that seed grow, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear, until the grain is ripened, and then the man who sowed the seed in the beginning comes back and he harvests that seed. That single principle governs everything in all of existence. I don't care if there's 750,000 dimensions that God has in his time created. All of those 750,000 dimensions, should they be there, all run on that same principle. They may look different, they may act different, gravity may be different, time may be experienced differently, uh, you know, Nitrogen gas may operate differently and you may have seven eyes in your head and I don't know, but wherever that is, it still works by seed time and harvest. It's still that same universal principle that governs 
everything. And when we look around at our world, everything in our world goes by that same process. When God created the heavens and the earth, how did God do that? He spoke. That's the seed. The farmer sows the seed, and then the seed turns into what we now know as the universe that we live in. So that, when God created it, the universal principle that doesn't just govern this natural world, it governs heaven, it governs where God lives. That God only says what he wants. He doesn't say what he doesn't want. Because if he says what he doesn't want, he's going to get what he doesn't want. Because that principle isn't a negotiating, a negotiable principle. Even where God lives, it's not a negotiable principle. That's why you say God can't lie. Because as soon as God says something, he says, there's God, you know, boy, there's a dimension that runs backwards. That could have been a lie the second before he said it. But it's not a lie the second after he said it because as soon as he says it, based on the universal principle that governs all that is, there would be a universe runs backwards. Now, when we take a look at this understanding, as God, what, what, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to unveil the root principle on which the entire world that we know operates. If you have a healing issue in your body, all that's, that's happening is the seeds that are sown are the wrong seeds. There's sickness going on in your body. It's just because there's wrong seeds. Right. Oh, no, Pastorina, I didn't have it. No, that, that can't be anything else. If there's a financial problem in your life, you know, it's like, oh, no, it's the government. No, it's my boss. No, it's my education. Nope, 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 nope. It may be that symptomatically right now, but the cause of it is the universal principle working. It's not working in your favor, but it's working. You know that when I was younger, gravity worked for me. I'll leave it right there. You see, it works. And it works every time. There is no movement from it. God doesn't even move. He can't. He has already established. This is how everything, everywhere is going to work always. God himself. The Bible says God is something. What is he? The, one, the most popular one would be God is love. love. What is love? Oh, it's that, that warm and fuzzy feeling every time I look at a chocolate bar. No, that's not love. Right, right. Love is sacrifice. Right? Right, girls? He come along and he said, he love you. You'd be looking for, sorry, sacrifice. He is sacrifice. What does that mean? That means if I want love, I have to do what? 
stomp my feet on the ground and tell her you need to love me better. Is that how I do it? How does that work? Anybody got that to work so far? No, if I want love, if I want it, then I have to... Sorry? Sow it. Everything works by love. That I sow it, and then when I sow it, that is a seed that I plant. When I plant that seed, which is the sowing part, everything operates like that. <clears throat> if I want a tomato, I first have to love the ground, give my ground a seed. I got to let it go from me. I got to make a sacrifice of a tomato in order to get a tomato. The whole, works, the whole world works like that. Everything in all of creation, nothing can get away from this principle. And so when we are dealing with all of these type of things, the bare essentials, all of these bare, obtaining all of these bare essentials, getting them into our lives, they first come through this universal principle. I must do something. I must release something. God, even knowing that God is real, I'm going to stand right here, God, and then when you prove to me that you're real, then I'll believe. It ain't going to work. Because you can't get God is real, God is right, God is love. You can't even get close to understanding that if you don't do something first. Then if I seek first, I'll find. If I release my seed, my action, my words, my desire, my intention, if I release that thing, I'll find it. If I want to know that the Bible is true, well, as soon as that Bible jumps off the table over there and pounds me in the head, I will believe that it, no, it's not going to work like that. You have to go in. See, if I understand the universal principle, I have to go in and I got to be open. I got to say, okay, I'll spend some time and here's an idea, read my Bible. And then when I read it, I'm going to find out, wait a minute, man, and I'm starting to get the seeds in there and it starts to grow. The, the, the Bible is the word of life. Well, people don't say the Bible's not the word of life. It's, it's just heavy. Well, that's because you're just carrying it around. You're not reading it. But when you start reading it, you're going to see that this is true. But if you don't start reading it, you're like, I'll tell you it's great, but you understand. If you want to understand Jesus, the lamb slain, the sins forgiven, you got to make a, you got to make a step. That's what Ben, Tina was talking about. What Ben was talking about, Pastor Ben was talking about the other day. If you don't take the first step, he still is the slain lamb. He still is the forgiver of sins. He still is the, the great and mighty Lord of all. But if you don't make the first step, if you don't open up your, you don't take that, make a sacrifice, do something to possess, you're not going to possess it. You go down there, Holy Spirit, if I don't start, if I don't ask, if I don't release the intentionality of it, nothing's going to happen. Do you understand how this works now? Even understanding that heaven is real, it doesn't make sense. It's the great conundrum because it looks like they're dead. It looks like they're gone. But unless we start to work on the concept and understand, they can't possibly be gone. They can't even physically be gone. You can't erase energy. It just transfers. It has to go somewhere. We know these things. Unless you give something to it, unless you put yourself into that place. 
then even the bare essentials, those which make, they're just the, the first five blocks that go down on the building. We have to sacrifice. We have to release the seed. We have to release the seed. And then when we release the seed, it works. What time is that, really? Is that how many hours I have left? I don't know exactly what it means. 8.17, is that my, am I right? Is that close to what it is? Eight, that's all, 8.17? So go back in your, and the next thing it says about it, I'm gonna open up my book, 8.17, got 13 minutes to go. Number two, is it says the earth bringeth forth fruit. Now let's look at the next one. There's two jobs in here that are given to the man. What are those two jobs given to the man? Read your Bible, pray every day. It says that the man scatters seed and down at the bottom, it says the man brings in the harvest. This is problematic because what we want to do is we want to sow the wrong seeds and then we want to go and make the right thing happen with all of our energy and strength and abilities and talents and we kind of get mad because then there are no harvests or at least the only harvest we get is out of our blood, sweat and tears. That's exactly not what Jesus is trying to explain to us about the kingdom of God. Right. He says specifically, a man's job is to sow seed. So we have a man here, or a woman, let's say, we'll just uh, put her dress on and some little nice shoes. Rings on her fingers, smile on her face. She's releasing the seeds. And then she goes to sleep Eyes closed, still smiling though. And then she wakes up. And she puts in the sickle and harvests all the harvest. No love here? realizing that there are specific jobs that God is asking human beings to involve themselves in. What we do is we spend maybe 5% of our time doing this and 5% of our time doing that and 90% of our time trying to do what's in here. And then we realize that we are losing our strength we're losing our way because it seems like the more we understand that we should be doing, the more of our lives it costs us. And so we very quickly in Christianity, we find out we're supposed to be harvesting, we're supposed to be prosperous, we're supposed to be healthy, we're supposed to be kind, we're supposed to be loving other people, we're supposed to be supposed to be holy. And what we do is, is that we use up our lives now so it's not long before our lives come grinding to a halt at a very small level instead of understanding that the earth bringeth forth fruit of itself. 
So when Pastor Tina says about loving other people and sharing the goodness of God with them, she doesn't say get up at six o'clock in the morning and head to the Tim Hortons. Not that it would not include that. She says, get up in the morning and do what? What did you share with us earlier? Start saying, thank you, Lord, that I have people in my path today that I'm going to be able to share the Lord with. I don't have to go find them because I just prayed. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody's going to knock on your door 30 seconds later, as you're about to find out. But at least if we would put the burden on the seeds that we sow, release the seed so that the, the, the earth bringeth forth fruit of itself can start to work in our lives. And things will start to align themselves in a good way. <clears throat> Rather than saying things like, well, ever since I started going to church, I never have any time on my hands. I'm four days at church. I'm five days. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. That's working for you too, by the way. And so instead of pushing at it, you got you to understand the universal principle. Right? Like if we take a look at this natural world that we live in, the universal principle is gravity. If you try to defy gravity, you're going to get hurt. I'm going to fly up in a plane and I'm going to jump out of that plane and everything is going to be cool because I love God. Splat. Because gravity is gravity. It's an, it, you, if you're going to defy gravity, you have to overcome it, not deny it. And so if you're going to, this principle of seed time and harvest is a absolutely inescapable principle. You cannot get away from it. All you can do is use it, like Jesus was telling us, you must use it wisely. You must understand if you're building an airplane, you have to understand that you, in order to overcome gravity, you do that in a very specific way. Right. You know, if, if you, would you, how many of you would fly in an airplane that I built? Because I don't understand how that stuff works. And so, you know, I may design what may look good, but don't get in it. Because it's the people who make those things, they don't make them, oh, I don't know, let's do it like this. It doesn't go like that. Because they have very specific objectives that they're trying to accomplish. Or else the plane is never going to get off the ground, and maybe it gets off the ground, but then it hits hard. This is the same principle that we are dealing with here. And what we have to do, the reason Jesus came now and he wanted to come and he said, oh, I need you to know all of this one very, 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 very important thing. Because if you don't get this, everything else that you are going to learn is just going to burden your life down to the place that you're not going to be any good for anybody. Because the stuff that comes up at the next level is not supposed to be burdensome responsibilities and duty, which is what it mostly is in people's lives. It's got to be able to come up and realize that everything, if I want finances, if I want health, if I want relationships, if I want destiny, if I want whatever, the sun to stand still in the sky, I got to do something. And then when I do it, I, I, then I got to give it a spot. I got to give it some time. This is our big problem. Remember we talked about that earlier? The time issue. Because it says there, Jesus says, now here's how this works. You sow the seed and then time needs to happen. And he does it carefully. He says, first the blade, then the ear, 
and then the full corn in the ear, and then the harvest happens. What is he saying? It's going to take some time. How many of you, farmers, anybody here a farmer? How many of you know that the, the blade that first comes up, let's say if we talk about corn or wheat, when the blade first comes up, it, it doesn't look like a, a corn on the cob. It looks like what? Grass. When it gets even grown up, and it's got the head, but it's got no corn in it, it still looks not like corn. Has the light bulb gone on in any of your lives here? In the time process of you declaring something, it doesn't look, it's coming up. It just doesn't look like you think it's supposed to look. It just looks like something that you should step on yeah. or cut. Right. Don't cut it. Don't step on it. Don't do that. Because your seed is in the ground, you're letting it go. As you let it go, give it the time that it needs. Don't worry. This is the universal principle. There's nothing that can stop this from happening ever, 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 ever. The only thing that can do is you could, you could go, I think I'm going to make some corn. And then the next day you come out and I say, I think all the corn should die. And then it will die because the universal principle is still in place. Or I think we should cut the, that corn off at the roots. If you do that, you've done it, but you, you haven't divided the principle. Do you understand? The principle is still the principle. It's still working, even though it looks like it's not working by the fact that it's not working. <laughs> it's working. Do you see this? Because there's no escaping the principle. The third thing is, did I get the slow process? Can I tell you something? This is my, my search for the time thing. Before I came to church today, I, I cut my fingernails. How do you like them? Can I tell you something? I never noticed that they grew. How many of you ever noticed your grass growing? It just is like one day it's cut and the next day it needs to be cut again. When did it grow? It's like your kids. Like I'm thinking all of a sudden they were little and now they're not little. When did they grow up? When did that happen? I didn't go one day, whoa, look at you. That's not what happened. Can I tell you, and this is, I, I don't know if I can explain this really well. The faith process works in a time sequence that is imperceptible to us as human beings. Did you know that the earth is spinning right now at 1,000 miles an hour? How many of you have ever driven at 1,000 miles an hour? In an airplane, you are traveling between 400 and 600 miles an hour. That gives you a little bit close. The, the earth is spinning at twice that speed right now. Thinking, whoa, she's like, whoa. It's imperceptible to us. We don't even know it's happening. For years and years and years, they didn't even know it was spinning. They thought it was sitting flat. Faith, and I'm, I'm not doing this justice, it's my quest on this time thing. 
is to realize when we're dealing with the things of the kingdom of God, like this principle right here, it's working all the time, but it's working at a speed that is imperceptible to us as human beings. It's just a little bit too slow. How many of you'd say that, hmm, I've noticed that about working with God. He's always just a little bit slow. Jesus said it was gonna be a little bit slow. You gotta be okay with that. And it's gonna look like something that isn't what it is as you are looking at it when it's going too slow. If you don't understand that, it's like the baby inside of Jess's womb right now as we're watching the little black, I still can't see it really, but I get it, they kind of point and this is the head, the nose, and it's like, looks like fuzz to me. <laughs> I think I need to see it in moving or something and then I can go, oh look, it's hand. It's going so slow. But it's like goes like four months ago, it was like two uh, cells. And then like three, four, whatever, how far away is March? Five, five months from now, it's gonna be like a real baby. Like you think to yourself, Whew. so when did that happen exactly? It was just this almost imperceptible process. We know it happened, but at any given time, we can look at it and go, hmm, it doesn't look like it's changing at all. It's like looking at your grass and going, hmm, honey, do you think it's, it's growing? It doesn't look like it's growing. Do you see it growing? Because of yours, it look like. That's how our faith is. That's how the, everything in the kingdom, that's how it all is. You know, when did that wrinkle come in my face? It's like, hmm. If I'd have seen it coming, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> when did this happen? You know, it was like, I didn't see it happen, you know? It all works like that. Everything in all of creation, in all of heaven, it all works like that. Because this principle is the universal principle. It works like this everywhere. And then the fourth one, we didn't get a chance, but if you look at the next uh, verse 30 there, Jesus says it's all, the kingdom of God is also like this, a seed, a, must, a mustard seed, the smallest of all things grows into the biggest of all things. And I think what the birds and perches in the air, perching in the branches is kind of like natural things of this world actually hang on the things that are spiritual. The things that start being imperceptible spiritual things, so small you can't even see them with the naked eye is kind of the impression here, although they could see it with a natural eye. We know that things are a lot smaller now, but... You take that littlest thing that is almost nothing. It's like a baby. It starts out being two cells, imperceptible to your eye, and they turn into you if you give it enough time. That's what he says the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of God is a universal principle, and that is small things become big things. Be careful, because he doesn't just say good small things become good big things. He says small things, good and bad, become big things 
good and bad. It's a universal principle. It operates everywhere. You see, what, what we should have happened when you first came to church, we should have told you this first. So then you think, what is church about? Church is about the universal principle. That's what we should have happened. It shouldn't have been that it's about God. It shouldn't even have been that it's about Jesus or the Holy Spirit. That's good. It should be about that. It should be like that second time you come. The very first thing that should be impressed upon your mind is this principle. Everything operates this way. If you want more of God, here's how you do it. You want more Jesus, how you do it. You want healing, it's how you do it. You want finances, how you do it. You want whatever, a motorcycle, that's how you do it. Everything is this way. When Jesus was here, he said, this is all I'm gonna, this is all you need to know about the most basic foundational underpinning principle that governs everything. That's all he said. Put your hand over your heart. Say, Jesus, I am so glad I didn't skip church. I know this is important. When Jesus was here, this is all he said about the principles of the kingdom of God. I'm sure that's because this is really important. So Holy Spirit, you're here to guide me into this truth. So I release you to show me how this principle governs everything in my life, in my relationships, in my destiny, in all my future, on this world and the next, this principle is inescapable. But you told me about this principle so that I would use it with wisdom and understanding so that I can increase in the things that I want and decrease in the things I don't want. Simple. But Holy Spirit, teach me. Remove from my mind any other concept that I have placed as the root concept by which my life and this world operate and replace it with this truth so that every time I see anything, I see the function of this universal principle in that thing. The solution to every problem is in the universal principle. It's the truth. I believe it, and I'll live out of it for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.